Welcome to the Pathways to Energy Efficiency and ATEE production. I'm Nitin Kesa, your host. Today in the episode 2, I'm joined by Vivek Chandran, Associate Director Transport at Shakti Sustainable Energy Foundation India. Today Vivek and I will discuss about India's evolving electric mobility landscape. We will talk about issues related to EV charging, how we can make EVs affordable, and the need for consumer-friendly information to raise awareness around clean transport. So, over to the podcast. Welcome, Vivek. Uh, I'm excited about today's podcast. And before we start, I would request you to share with our audience a bit about yourself and your journey in the clean mobility space. Hi, Nathan. Um, thanks uh, for inviting me, Kastu. Um, so yeah, at uh, I lead the transport program at Shakti and uh, Shakti Sustainable Energy Foundation, um, and uh, we look into essentially the uh, the task of decarbonizing the transport sector, uh, looking into the uh, the aspects of climate change, air quality, and all of the benefits associated with that. Um, and my work uh, here, the work that has led me here, has been uh, several years of work around transportation. um working with civil society organizations um to deal with transport and sustainable transport so i started my career to an extent working uh, uh actually building on my experiences as an architect and an urban planner and so worked on sustainable transport projects like transit oriented development uh, along metro stations um bus rapid transit was another area of focus for a while um and that evolved into more of uh, the work um uh, related to decarbonization as i uh, got closer to shakti uh, and started working with shakti so the vehicle and the fuel aspect of uh, sustainable uh, transportation also became important um so that's broadly uh my journey of uh, of my my work in uh, in transport um yeah i think uh, that's a uh, very pretty impressive starting from an architect uh, to an electric mobility uh, enabler else that's quite a fascinating journey so vivek uh, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, in India the transport sector is the third largest GHG emitter. That's greenhouse gases. For India to meet its climate targets, decarbonization of the transport sector is critical. Do you think we are focusing on the right solution that's electric vehicles at this point of time? Yes, so uh, there are several ways um and pathways to decarbonize the transport sector. Um but electric vehicles and electrification of vehicles is the um the only sure shot method so let me illustrate uh, how this works so some of the other uh, methods to decarbonize the transport sector um is to look at one uh using vehicles more efficiently so the use of shared mobility is one of those examples public transport is a is a good example of that because there's one vehicle which is shared by many and as a result um, uh, a fraction of the emissions uh, are attributed to one passenger travel right so that's one way of looking at it um the other is of course and the best way perhaps is not use uh, any mode of transport that has any emissions associated with it non motorized transport which is walking and cycling have been traditionally the means uh, to undertake those uh, so it's totally human powered but of course the limitation there is beyond a, a few certain kilometers it 
tends to become infeasible right so uh, intercity travel all of that will still be dependent on uh, vehicles and even long distances will be dependent on vehicles uh, freight transport for example is also uh, something that's very vehicle centric and um, from that point of view uh, cleaning up making vehicles themselves far more efficient becomes important um so how um, how do how do vehicles become far more efficient uh, there are a couple of ways that could happen either the um, the engine itself is uh, is made more efficient so there's been a lot of many years of improvements that have been uh, and much money spent on improving uh, internal combustion engines but unfortunately they are inherently less efficient because a lot of the the the, uh, the fuel and the energy is lost as heat now um on the other hand uh, there's one good way to um uh, with internal en- uh, combustion engines itself to decarbonize which is to switch fuels right so biofuels uh, fuels that have been biofuels that have been created um without much um uh, emissions associated with it so these are mostly second generation third generation fuels um because if they are competing if these fuel sources for example ethanol is a good example if they are competing with crops food crops uh, then that becomes a challenge um so that is um, so that's the other way alternative fuels but in areas for example where electrification is going to happen last biofuels may still be an important uh, path to look at, look at and which is why the second generation third generation fuels become very important because they are then not competing for food and perhaps uh, and not leading to uh, deforestation so they can be uh, you know grown on fallow land um, or from already uh, existing waste uh, that is generating fires um and so then the question still arises um which which of these um uh, would be uh, can be streamlined can be can become most common uh, in terms of its ability to be adopted and when looking at uh, electrification of transport uh, it seems to be the sure shot one because the grid which is the source of electricity is on a trajectory to get clean right india by itself has um announced uh, 150 175 gigahertz uh, as a target for the next few years and then going into 2030 uh, 450 gigahertz that's almost to say that renewable energy would be at least half if not more of the um uh, the uh, the uh, the power in the grid uh, that we have the electricity grid itself and so um with that in mind any vehicle that's plugged in is essentially plugging into at least half of the energy which is powered by renewables um that is from 2030 onwards that's as well um and that makes uh, and when that trajectory continues right the, the greening of the grid continues any um, electric vehicle plugged to the grid is essentially going to start using more renewable energy during his lifetime uh, lifetime so let's assume for a second that in 2030 this trajectory of 450 gigawatts by 2030 continues and we are able to uh, decarbonize the grid um all electric vehicles will therefore have been uh, decarbonized as a result by uh, automatically 
So that is the real theory of change when it comes to how electric vehicles can, can um, lead to decarbonization. And when, when looking at just road transport, it uh, works well. Uh, because a lot of road transport can already get electrified immediately. Uh, the technology is out there, the options are out there. Um, whether they are in India is a good question to ask, but the options in terms of um, uh, the um, its availability across the world, many of them are already, many use cases are already electrified. Um, so from that point of view, again, electrification makes sense. And um, uh, I think the... Uh, it's important to you know just step back for once and just take a look at the, the task that we are looking at when it comes to uh, decarbonizing transport. Um, while transport is the third largest sector in India as an energy sector in terms of emissions, it's expected to grow about four to five times over the next 30 years by 2050. That's almost like from 13% to 12 to 13% today, um, you're expecting a five times jump. So in today's uh, India's emissions, it's almost half of India's emissions. So that is what we are expecting in 2050 if we do nothing. And so with this in mind, electrifying um, uh, uh, road transport becomes extremely crucial. Um, and also road transport is almost 90% of um, all of transport emissions in India today. And so it can easily cover uh, cover the large, uh, large largest portion of um, uh, emissions um, from today's uh, road transport itself. Right. Uh, now, Vivek, as you said, uh, you know, the transition is important and we are on the right cusp. So I just want to understand, uh, several states in India have already announced uh, EV policies that is specifying fiscal, non-fiscal, and other incentives to boost EV adoption. However, uh, vehicle electrification in India is still at its nascent stages. What are your thoughts on the current charging infrastructure? Uh, now how does it impact the transition towards clean mobility? And more importantly, is there enough being done on this front, um, as you said, you know, like in Europe, we are certainly sure, you know, like on the on the other side of the world, you know, we are banking on electrification of vehicles. What about in India? Do we have enough uh, charging infrastructure, and are we headed in the right direction? Yeah, it's true. Um, charging infrastructure in India is still at very very nascent stage, right? Um, but it's also, uh, to an extent, a reflection of the uh, nascency of the industry itself in India. Um, vehicle electrification um, uh, was, uh, let's look at Europe, US or China, right? Um, they all started with, at some stage in which vehicle uh, charging infrastructure was not necessarily there. Um, but uh, a lot of their policies have really helped build that charging infrastructure and um, it may be um, it may be interesting to uh, again look at what has caused electrification in the uh, in Europe or US or China right and these policies have not necessarily said oh we need to have charging infrastructure everywhere um, and that's how it will it will begin um, while they did, and acknowledge that charging infrastructure is important. The policies that uh, these regions adopted drove um, the manufacturers to ensure that they need to sell vehicles. 
that was the first and foremost uh, uh, push that they they provided the moment um, a manufacturer needs to sell vehicles they will start figuring out how to deploy charging infrastructure right uh, tesla is one has one of the uh, largest charging infrastructure in, uh, in the country uh, in the us um now they're starting off in europe as well and uh, they were all um, uh, developed uh, from the sort of policies that enabled a tesla to exist in, in the us um so uh, if you look at um, the us and california being a very important case uh, they had policies that mandated um, uh that vehicles um at least some percentage of vehicles are electrified in terms of sales right and that is what uh, what caused that change but of course um uh charging infrastructure has its own set of challenges as well right um in terms of whether we need uh public charging uh, infrastructure how much do we need of them and um what is that balance and how does it work with private charging infrastructure and one good thing is that um for at least urban uses we are um, uh, what we have seen in again from experience of the US and Europe is that public the dependence on public charging infrastructure is very little right at least for urban areas um and that's because most people will be able to uh, set up a, a charging infrastructure at home or at most at work and through that they will be able to charge their vehicles when they are idle um and not being used right and so the need for public charging infrastructure is really very much um and captive charging uh, to an extent for shared mobility service providers that is where it becomes important because they don't they are they are very often running several kilometers in the day uh, because that's the business model and so they will need to have some point of charging uh, available to them uh, either public or perhaps with a uh, with a uh, with a partner of theirs with which they are providing service um and so there uh, for shared mobility some amount of public charging infrastructure becomes very important buses again and freight vehicles will be able to deploy charging infrastructure uh, at their depots and uh, the spaces where they transition they for freight vehicles for example uh, where they are undertaking loading unloading those are good enough uh, pause points for them to charge um and if we were to look at um the other perspective that uh, you know it's a chicken and egg problem right a lot of people say that uh, charging infrastructure needs to come first or is it vehicles that will get sold uh, later um i think it's important to kind of look at the utilization rates across um, cities that have deployed high number of charging infrastructure it's it's, it's in the in the you know 2 to 3% uh, to 5% ranges and that uh, is really is the is the uh, indication that this is just about overcoming range anxiety and once that is done um uh, you know it, it will really take care of itself um when it comes to intercity though the the situation is completely different because there the dependence on public charging infrastructure is uh, is real it is not an anxiety issue it is absolute um uh, and hence the the kind of uh, balance uh, that exists between uh, the amount of battery in a vehicle the the speed at which the charger can charge 
all of that becomes very critical. Um, so, for example, for freight vehicles, for HDVs, uh, this is still a challenge because you need, uh, if um, in the freight vehicle uh, cannot be overburdened with batteries either. So the whole idea is they will be dependent on super fast charging to an extent to ensure that charging happens. Otherwise, they will not be practical. Uh, right. in terms of the, the way they, uh, they operate today. Um, and similar issues with buses, perhaps, as well, um, because they have small pause uh, points for, you know, food um, and breaks that they take in during the journey. And that is the time at which they will be charged. So I guess that uh, that is how we will have to look at charging infrastructure. I would say intercity, very, very important. And uh, within cities, I think it will be important that... Um, uh, buildings, right? Residential buildings and work um, buildings, commercial buildings. These can at least provide a plug point to charge at. You know, the, the, the slow charging infrastructure is at least available there. It, that itself is a challenge and will take some time. Um, but uh, that is that is the easier uh, challenge to deal with at this point. Right. So Vivek, uh, as you were just talking about. Uh... Uh, the heavy vehicles, the private cars, or for the two-wheelers, you know, like which we can probably still think of a lot of charging options we have. But I think uh, a key factor in India is uh, three-wheeler transport, which is electrifying fast, and it's done faster than anywhere else. And their dependence is largely on the batteries. Uh, I mean, that's the current model which they have. Either they swap the batteries or they just uh, put it for charging. Right. So, batteries and in an EV is its most expensive mm-hmm. as well as most important component. I mean, it, it accounts for 40 to 50% of its total cost, not in just terms of three wheelers, but all EVs, right? Mm-hmm. So the affordability of EVs is directly proportional to the affordability of a battery. Can you please uh, shed some light on strategies that could reduce battery costs and make EVs affordable and improve their uptake in India's transport and mobility system? Mm-hmm. So um, you alluded to uh, three-wheelers and rickshaws, which are uh, one of the most uh, price-sensitive um, kind of uh, operating models, right? Um, uh, the kind of profit margins there are very little. And so, yes, it becomes extremely important that uh, uh, those vehicles um, do adopt some form or manner in which they can reduce the cost of the vehicle. Um, and that, and to an extent, in some certain cases, even the idea of low-power two-wheelers are uh, certainly a, a good use case in which uh, battery swapping would work, right? Um, because that uh, that the target segment, though, uh, there are, um, you know, uh, it's the it's to make vehicles at the most affordable um, segments, um, and that's uh, that's the target there. So even if uh, battery prices continue to fall, which they are, which is a good thing, uh, we may see that some of these segments are still um, going to uh, going to need strategies that are perhaps um, uh, more from a, in a physical form, which is battery swapping itself, right? So uh, uh, I, I would still think that in, in India, in India, a country where uh, you know um, uh, affordable uh, mobility is still a challenge, um, personal mobility is still uh, not available uh, to most people, um, and that's an aspiration for many, uh, not only to to um, 
uh, as 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 a an aspect of ownership but also to just become more um, um you know useful in the economic sense to access jobs to be able to um uh, to to get to work all of that it makes makes things easier and so there is that aspiration for um affordable vehicles and so something like char- battery charging uh, battery swapping will become a useful uh, tool uh, but i would still say i think the real strategy to reduce the the um cost of batteries is in fact to actually be producing more of them and for it to be deployed more often um through vehicle purchases itself right and uh, that's how what we have seen like the, the learning rate for batteries uh, around the world uh, has now at least for the last 10 15 years has been around 20% um and uh, that's the real sign that the more we produce the cheaper it's going to get um and so uh if you also look at what has driven this over the last 10 years again like i alluded to a little earlier it's those schemes of uh, government that have really uh, ensured that uh, oems and manufacturers are producing those vehicles and have an onus to sell it um also you could you could look at that as one important driver but the other form is that if you if you look at what fame has done it's really subsidized vehicles and uh try to hit that exact uh number at which the vehicle becomes uh cost competitive with a ice vehicle and makes it a little better uh than owning a ice vehicle and that encourages adoption of um uh, of uh, electric vehicles over the ice vehicle and so that's a good way of uh government uh, subsidy strategizing um uh, to make electric vehicles just cheap enough for for it to become enticing uh, for customers right or potential buyers again the idea of the carbon tax right the carbon credits uh, through through fuel efficiency norms uh, it's it's another thing that has paid uh, it's not something that you see at the user front it's something that occurs between uh, manufacturers and the credits are sh- uh, sold and, um, and the money is uh, money is made by electric vehicle manufacturers and that eventually subsidizes the the vehicle itself as a whole uh, when it hits the market so that's a very very effective way and it's the tesla way of getting things done and has worked quite well mm-hmm. um, but india is still missing those policies unfortunately and that might be a challenge going forward right uh, so we have uh, briefly talked about uh, the landscape of evs um, and why it's so important for the decarbonization of transport sector we have talked about uh, the charging infrastructure and we talked about the batteries but something which is still the critical aspect is uh, you know the behavioral change creating demand for evs also relies heavily on behavioral change while some people have begun thinking about transitioning to evs a few years down the line the major, majority in india still fail to realize the need to switch to evs and why it's crucial in present day are there ways to induce this shift in the mindset so um uh, i think that uh, the, the the last um, uh, the uh, response to the previous question kind of uh, i'll try and tie back to that because um when we look at um purchase decisions um it's important to step back and think whether purchase decisions are behavioral or is there a more functional uh, decision being made by customers um 
because would someone choose a, a vehicle um which is not serving them a certain purpose at this point um and uh, we may consider that today with just the, the level of penetration of electric vehicles today uh, they're not in all segments they're not all over and so um people um the normal common folk who's going to buy or, or thinking of purchasing a vehicle today does not have all the choices that they ought to have um and so that's a first starting point biggest barrier right but oh, let's assume for a moment that we are we are able to reach that point in which um uh, there are sufficient electric vehicles in the market and uh, that is the the starting point um but if we were to reach there you'll also have to think about how when we get there what are the oems doing right so who are the if you look at the advertising market auto companies are one of the largest advertisers out there um they spend a lot of money um making each and every model of theirs look better and look more compelling for users to buy and that by itself is a, a form of awareness building right um uh, is that behavioral change i don't know but at least it's enticing and that's the idea of advertising so uh so i think when the onus is uh, laid on the oems uh, to sell their vehicles uh, they will go all out to to also make sure that their vehicles are known that their vehicles are seen and perceived in good light um and that uh, any myths that might exist on uh, you know um kind of uh, allayed and that uh, they they're the ones who would like to see sales and so this this just makes sense from that point of view um so i would say i think um, it's important to to look at uh, behavioral change from that point of view that i'm not sure this may be even a nudge mechanism that Uh, that is required um it's that the right incentives need to be uh, provided to the to the right players in the ecosystem um and and then it would automatically work so i think a good example may be the electric vehicle uh, electric two wheeler sales in india during the time of covid right last year last few many quarters uh they saw they, they continued to sell regardless of uh, the lockdown uh, i don't mean during lockdown but just post lockdown they they continued to sell at the same rate while two wheeler um ice vehicles uh, declined in sales and so then the question is was there any behavioral aspect to it or was it just that it was a compelling enough choice um because now uh, two wheeler electric vehicles in india are uh, more more price competitive from the tco the total cost of ownership perspective uh and now so even more so with um, uh with the revision in fame uh, which happened just last month so i think um uh effective communication is definitely important um it brings familiarity it brings um comfort in people's choice um but also i think we need to lay the onus on the right actors um uh they have uh, it's oems who have the budgets for um for to 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 make their vehicles known and uh, and they're eventually the ones who will have to take the burden of uh, ensuring uh that the vehicles are known and that electric vehicles are sold fine
What about uh, the consumer side of it? Uh, we know, I mean, like OEMs have to play the massive uh, role in this. But at the same time, you know, like there is an audience which needs to be told about this. I mean, like the, there's definitely uh, advertisement around. But the biggest uh, uh, challenge is, you know, like people see EVs as more expensive. The questions about the performance. People are really not uh, aware about like how an EV may function. You know, like as we did talk about, you know, like if it has to do an interstate transport, what are the viable options? So uh, on those lines, I mean, if we have to tell and make people a bit more aware, what are certain such uh, uh, opportunities which we have in terms of behavior change? How can we induce that piece if required? So I think uh, effective media uh, communication would would definitely work, um, and that has uh, to an extent done the job in the past. Um, because if we look at the, the kind of um, media, at least TV, television media has done uh, made it far easier, because now uh, that reaches more people. It also makes sure that uh, vehicles that are you know um, are reviewed, they're compared, they're test driven. Um, I'm guessing social media and YouTube makes it all the more easier uh, as well for people to access that kind of information and. Uh, um, you could have any number of creators who are deploying that kind of uh, uh, information on the internet. Um, and we're also learning from experience outside of India. It's not like it's only what, what's happening here that we're learning from, right? Um, but of course, if there's a, if there's a, uh, if there's a, a, a problem with one of the vehicles here, it definitely will blow over and may look like um, it's attributed to uh, to deficiencies in our manufacturing here. Um, but I think uh, those are issues that we will um, soon have get over. Uh, these are teething issues. Um, it is, it's going to exist while this industry um, uh, grows. And, uh, but I don't see this as a, uh, a showstopper. I'm pretty sure that uh, if there's a problem with one vehicle, then it will be uh, it addressed sooner than later. And uh, the larger sector itself will continue to grow. And uh, I think there are great signs with good vehicles out there in the market, um, which you don't hear any issues about, right? And so there's a lot of focus on on those where complaints may exist. Um, I think there was a recent case um, of the Tata Nexon itself and became uh, uh, an issue in Delhi. Um, uh, but but I think uh, those are those are issues that can be dealt with um, uh, by the OEMs uh, and also with good um, coverage and um, uh, the media attention is a little bit more um, informed, then it will definitely help. And I guess, um, so as everybody learns, the ecosystem learns, um, so will the media, so will consumers. Um, and maybe that's the role that civil society can play to raise the problem early enough to make such information available um, freely and easily. Um, and to try to make sure that uh, the ecosystem gets ready. Well, that's that's important. Uh, you also talked about Vivek um, a term called total cost of ownership. So I would uh, like to uh, ask you my last question on those lines. First, I mean, like for a layperson, what would it mean the total cost of ownership, and what are some ways to generate accessible and consumer-friendly information 
and mm. increase their awareness around clean mobility in India. I mean, like 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 you said, uh, total cost of ownership is one thing. People really don't know what that is. So a little bit uh, detail on that, a little bit more insights on consumer-friendly information that's available uh, and can help people make uh, informed choices. Yeah, I think total cost of ownership is perhaps that one concept that is not talked enough <laughs> and probably needs to be discussed far more because that's really where electric vehicles are excelling. Um, and it's it's now, I think, quite commonly understood that electric vehicles, um, at least the initial purchase costs are far higher than those of um, the equivalent um, uh, internal combustion engine vehicles. Um, and of course, the reason there we've already discussed battery costs are uh, quite high, uh, but they make up for all of those through operational costs, right? So total cost of ownership as a concept, the idea is um, the like it says, it's the complete cost that any user has to pay uh, to own and operate the vehicle, right? Uh, so it includes the purchase cost, but also uh, the cost of fuel. Um, that they need to um, uh, purchase in order to uh, operate the vehicle. Uh, it also includes other costs such as uh, insurance costs, um, you know, service costs, parts changes that occur during the lifetime of owning a vehicle. And so um, a combined cost of this kind, uh, when that comparison is made between EVs and um, ICE uh, vehicles, it's, uh, it's, it's overly being seen now because of the cost of uh, electricity being far lesser than the cost of um, uh, equivalent uh, petrol um, that goes into petrol or diesel that goes into ice vehicles. Um, uh, and just the other, other aspect being the, that electric vehicles are far more efficient from that point of view as well, is that eventually the operating costs are far, far less, right? Um, and so uh, that adds up. So during the lifetime of the vehicle and uh, eventually uh, a person, uh, at least for two wheelers today, it's far cheaper. Um, uh, and uh, for cars, if they are operated uh, sufficiently enough for, as, for, for longer distances in a day, um, like for shared mobility purposes, they're certainly good enough. Uh, they, they become um, cheaper from the total cost of ownership point of view. Uh, buses and all of these vehicles that operate for long distances in a day, uh, there again, uh, it makes sense to um, from the total cost of ownership point of view. So um, I think that's the idea uh, of total cost of ownership. And that idea is unfortunately not intuitive because um, when you go to, uh, when a person makes a decision to to purchase a, a vehicle, you're looking at purchase costs. And with purchase costs also have, there's a bunch of barriers because uh, if it's high enough, then how do you finance those um, becomes another challenge. Um, and so uh, I think it's important to, to uh, for the person or for the decision-making to also be cognizant of how that recovery is made over the duration of um, owning a vehicle. And so that information, unfortunately, is uh, because it's not um, how decisions were made in the past when, when purchasing an ICE vehicle is not common knowledge and it's not something that uh, that people find easily available. So, um, you know, the uh, if, you, if you look at any of these auto mobile websites that kind of tell you 
how many liters of petrol uh, or how much how many kilometers that a vehicle drive over a liter of petrol that's a very common variable in in comparisons right between vehicles uh, but you don't see uh, and today now it is electricity with electric vehicles but you don't see a comparison of that kind you can't say one unit of power will take you so far how do you compare it with petrol that's firstly a difficulty so one of the best measures in this case would perhaps be you know operating uh cost and um, that could be a, a nice way of uh, comparing it and then giving giving the indian public who are generally known for asking you know kitna deti hai the kind the, the relevant answer in this case and that could be very very handy i would think again to to make um, so uh, make ev sales um, farm the choice of whether ev or ice farm is your for for, uh, for the public right i think we definitely need to change our narrative from kitna deti hai to kitna leti hai i mean at least uh, that's how we should be focusing when we're talking about environment right like how much our vehicles take from us um as we uh, wind up this uh, amazing interaction um i want to know vivek if there is any particular message you want to share with our audiences oh no a particular message at this point uh, i think uh, what is important uh, I, i would probably want to pick up on what you said last right the kitna deti a question i think that's something that is not um, again uh, discussed enough of course um, whether environmental concerns are the drivers for a general public's um, uh, purchase choices is maybe too much a, a little bit of a reach but uh, it's certainly the ambit of policy making it's certainly um, what governments are therefore uh, that's the that's the call that they need to make and um, so i think um, when keeping environment first um, as well here is a is a great case uh, with electric vehicles where uh, the choice is not only better it's also cost competitive right um uh, it is a new industry it certainly is developing right now but i think um, uh, i don't think there's a win win circumstances that have been created uh, because there's generally a green premium attached to anything um uh, that is environmentally friendly or net zero but here is one in which the premium doesn't necessarily exist um and so uh, it's probably the best decision that uh, can be taken from a financial point of view as well and so um i think that's uh, that's a message that needs to go out um and uh, yeah i think as civil society that's something that we continue to do and com- continue to focus on um with with our partners and with with um with uh, uh, the larger ecosystem of civil society founders and i think that's uh, that's something that we'll continue to do well yes we were it was pleasure having you uh, on our episode today thank you so much uh, for uh, sparing some time for our, for our audiences um, thank you so much for joining the episode 2 of pathways to energy efficiency podcast if you enjoyed our podcast please do subscribe check out our future podcast until then stay safe and goodbye